Hello and welcome to Inside Indie Ref, the new series of podcasts with key players on both sides of the independence referendum debate, which aims to cut through the campaign waffle and find out what they're really thinking about the big issues. It's brought to you by Message Matters and hosted by me, Peter Duncan, and me, Andy McKeever, and we're going to be in coffee shops and cafes throughout Scotland with a laptop, a microphone, a 15-minute egg timer, and a key referendum campaigner. You'll find us on Twitter at Inside Indie Ref, and of course on messagematters.co.uk. So let's go to this week's podcast. Good morning, everyone. We're here in York Place in Edinburgh this morning at Fortitude Coffee, hot on the heels of last night's STV leaders debate between Darling and Salmond. And we're here with none other than Stephen Noon, who's the Chief Strategist at Yes Scotland uh, and one of the key members of the SNP's 2011 election winning team. Good morning, Stephen. It's the morning after um, the big debate last night. Uh, interesting debate. We did about the analysis ourselves last night in our own consolidated view. I think it's fair to say that there was the Alec probably one part one based on slightly more fluid display and let's look at a little bit that Alistair did well in part two when he got very frenzy about the currency um, in particular. I mean, I tend not to focus on what the No campaign uh, talks about or gets up to. I mean, our focus is absolutely on what undecideds want to hear. Um, and for me, that's the way you've got to judge how the debate went last night. Did we get our message across to undecideds? Uh, I think we did. Uh, did we talk about the issues that are important to undecideds? Yeah, again, I think we did. And, you know, the indications from some of the Guardian poll analysis is that undecideds thought that Alec had won the debate. And, you know, the yes side actually saw an increase in support over the course of the debate, according to the, 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 the Guardian ICM snap poll. So, uh, did your analysis suggest that undecided voters, um, for, for those undecided voters, currency is, an, is a major issue? I mean, the issues that we talk about um, are the ones we think are important for undecided voters, and I think Alec, you know, reflected a few of them. Uh, you know, this idea of Scotland being a wealthy nation, we can be independent successfully, uh, and then breaking it down into the should we be arguments, which are around sharing the wealth more fairly, growing the economy more successfully. So these are actually the you know horrible phrase, but sort of bread and butter issues that people uh, care about more than you know some of the. Politicians throwing lines at each other, yeah. which is what the currency debate, in a sense, boils down to. And do you, do you, do you think is there a prospect of turning the currency? Is there a prospect for undecided voters of turning currency into a positive? Yes, no. Well, you know, we we focus on our uh, what we think are our most positive lines. Um, I mean, one of the strengths for us in the currency debates, I think it exposed quite clearly um, the, the sort of campaigning tactics of the, the no campaign. So there was a point when Mr Osborne intervened uh, his sermon on the pound where it became very clear that you know this was actually all just part of our big political plan. Um, so that was very useful in terms of uh, an insight for undecided voters. Uh, and we were obviously helped even more by the, the fantastic unnamed UK government minister uh, saying of course there would be a, a shared pound. So these things all I help. Wonder in the mix. I wonder who it was. I, I wonder if he or she is still in post. I mean one of the, obviously one of the issues um, in addition to the pound that um, Alec featured quite heavily last night was 
an appeal to what you might call traditional labour voters. He talked a lot about Trident, about the bedroom tax, um, about social security, uh, you know, that sort of that sort of issue. Food banks, I think, was one of the first things he mentioned. Um, how big a deal is it for you to grab that traditional labour, urban, left-wing vote to vote yes? Are they are they really pivotal to, to securing a yes vote? Absolutely. I mean, if you take the combined votes of the SNP, the Greens and the SSP in the election, um, and I know elections and referendums are different, but you know that was not enough. So in order for us to win, we have to have more people you know, from different political backgrounds coming across to yes. And I think it's been one of the successes of yes that we have actually begun to have a, a, a trickle uh, of well-kent Labour faces, um, and also people who are respected within the party uh, coming out for yes. Uh, so is there any worry though that if, you know, as you open the front door to those people, is there a bit of worry about the back door also being open to um, the more rural, you know, Perthshire, Tayside, Aberdeenshire, north of Scotland vote, which is probably, I would suggest, not motivated by that sort of left-wing rhetoric, but is more, you know, probably more, a lot of them were former Tories, maybe former Lib Dems, who are probably not motivated by that. Uh, is there a concern that it's putting them off, or are they so solidly inside the camp that you're not worried about that? Well, we, the, the fairness argument, as we would describe it, is not one that is about yeah, people in poverty, just people in poverty. I mean, the figures are very stark. Um, 70% of people in Scotland own just 25% of the wealth. So we're speaking with this argument to 70% of the population, if not more. Uh, figures released a few weeks ago showing that if we had the same levels of income equality as Denmark or the Netherlands, 99% of people would be better off. So this is, you know, the fairness argument is one for the many. It's for people who are in, you know, middle income and people who are in, you know, in, in poverty. And so it's a very powerful argument, regardless of whether you're in Aberdeenshire or, you know, Airdrie. And reflecting back on, um, you know, obviously, I, 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 whilst you, know, you would argue that you made progress during the, the campaign as far as the polling is concerned, and I think that's probably um, uh, correct, you're probably still in second place. Mm-hmm. Um, but you were in second place in 2011, and, and there was that last minute rush which turned it around. In, in, inside the camp, how does, it, how does this feel? In, it, in, in what ways does this feel similar to 2011? But in what ways does, does it feel a bit different? The great success for the SNP in 2011 was when we got to the final weeks of the campaign, uh, people were reinforcing the idea of an SNP vote. So people who were considering voting SNP were speaking to their friends or family or work colleagues and they were yeah. getting reflected back at them, you know, I'm voting SNP too or I'm considering voting SNP. And so the whole aim of the Yes campaign is been to get us to a very similar point so that people when they're within their social network, social circles are having a yes or yes argument reflected back to them. So it's the whole idea of the groundswell uh, building up to the point where you know you go into work in the morning of the referendum and your work colleague says you have to say to vote yes. And that's far, far more powerful than a newspaper headline or a you know politician speaking in a news programme. Does, does the duration of the cam- has the duration of the referendum campaign Impacted on how likely that is to happen. Absolutely. In the last few weeks. Yeah. I mean, one of the this, great. This has been three years. Yeah. Whereas 2011 was really six yeah. months. We've done some great things and some bad things in this campaign, but the best thing we've done is start early. 
Uh, we've had the ability to build up the grassroots, we've had the ability to, well, I mean it's been autonomous, it's been self-starting, the, the number of groups who are actively involved, you know, from Radical Independence Convention, for the first time political generations actually canvassing, uh, you know, doors that have not been knocked for, for years, people who have not, never voted before. Business for Scotland and a, an executive coach going around and speaking to small businesses in umpteen towns across Scotland. So, you know, people having conversations with like-minded uh, individuals about a yes, and that could not have happened in six weeks. It had to take, you know, three years, two and a half years to build it well, up. Maybe, well, maybe get that list uh, of the worst things you've done during the <laughs> after you finish the show. After you finish, yes. We'll wait till we're off here. <laughs> um, just to go back to 2011, just to uh, finish that point off, when you were ten points behind six or eight weeks before, did you have evidence that you were going to win? Did you know you were going to win? And as a supplementary to that, does that feeling exist now? I mean, are there, are there things that are going beyond the polls that you see as evidence that you are going to turn this around? I think the, one of the strengths we have as a campaign, and the SNP had it in 2011, was the, the depth and quality of our, of our research. We're getting in information, you know, tens of thousands of bits of information every week and have been doing so for you know, many months now. Um, in 2011, the fundamentals underpinning a yes, an SNP vote were, were there and we knew that from our research and we saw movement before the polls did. Uh, and what I would say is that we're seeing the same thing now. I mean, the number I always look, like, look at is the, the average of the 1 to 10 scale. It's what we often talk yeah. about, 1 being completely against, 10 being completely for. And as long as that average continues to move up, I'm happy. And that average moved up before the polls moved. It's continuing to move up. Uh, and that, for me, is the indication of the strength of the yes base. So we're moving in the right direction. You know, there's a lot of work to do. Um, you know, we're behind, uh, but we're certainly within reaching distance. It, it strikes me that, that perhaps your your biggest opportunity is that on the in September in a few weeks' time a larger number of people are going to cast their vote and have cast their vote for a long, long time. Absolutely. <clears throat> and there are therefore a large cohort of people who are not as engaged with the process to date. And there is a low level of uncertainty about it. Presumably you would say that uncertainty is a positive for you as well. Well, what I would say to you is if there's a, the sort of turnout that we expect, you know, 80 odd percent, perhaps higher, that would include people who have not voted for generations, you know, for years, uh, and those people are more likely to vote yes. Uh, so are they being polled? Uh, are those people missing out on being polled? One interesting thing as to whether or not they're included in these polling numbers that we're seeing. Well, they're, they're included in our numbers. <laughs> That's what I would say to you. That's another um, thing we'll get off here. Your numbers. Um, so. I don't know whether the polls pick them up, you know, different companies have different formulations for doing these things, but you know, we are certainly engaging with them. Um, so yeah, hopeful that um, you know that's, that's, that's a plus for the Yes campaign. Okay. Um, <coughs> we, you, you, you may wish to be reminded of this and you may not. A couple of years ago you wrote an article for, I think it was Scotland Sunday if I remember correctly, where you um, hinted that after a yes vote, the SNP may be no longer. There may be some form of realignment um, in politics, which meant that the SNP broke up or fractured in some way. Um, we speak to quite a few people about this this issue, and a lot of them from the SNP and from other sides think that the um, the fact that you have power is a big determinant in this, and that people will not will not lightly give up the power that you now have. 
and that that power, that government power, will, will keep you together. Do you think there's anything in that? And you know, if we look at a yes vote, do you think that, for example, in the 2020 election, for instance, we may get to the point where we have a completely different set of political parties standing for election? Well, I suppose two things. First of all, I mean, the headline of the article, of the, the story in this SOS didn't quite reflect the article. I mean, my argument was that people would... Uh, I'll speak to Kenny Ferguson for you. Thank you. People who <laughs> you know, have voted SNP up until now because they believe in independence will have other options. Uh, so the SNP, I think, will continue and, and flourish after independence. But people who have voted SNP because simply they believe in independence will have a range of other political choices. The second thing I would say is one of the great, most exciting things about this referendum is the activity that's been generated by groups like Radical Independence Convention, National Collective, etc, etc. Um, and I think we're going to see a, a shift, a political shift in Scotland, which is perhaps not about political parties, but it's actually about political engagement, which could perhaps be more exciting. Uh, there are people who are now politically involved who have never been involved. Uh, they know how to campaign, they know how to have their, their voice heard, and I think that will change the political dynamic in Scotland for all the political parties. And for me, that's a very exciting thing. It will you know, up the pressure, essentially, on... You know, sometimes the political bubble can be a wee bit out of touch and a wee bit uh, inward-looking. Um, this referendum campaign will hopefully have changed that. Just to push you slightly, um, Stephen, on that, um, I think one of the things that must be most impressive to observers about the, the, the nationalist movement in the last um, decade is probably its discipline. Mm -hmm. It has been a very disciplined movement because there's been one thing to unite the whole party and the whole movement and to keep them focused behind. What, what is going to keep Sandra White and Fergus Ewing in the same party after independence? A very good question. Um, you're quite right, and that, that was the purpose of the article to say, I mean, I, I gave my own example, that when I was in England and I didn't have the you know, independence raison d'etre, I voted for, you know, for the Greens, I voted for the Conservatives. I, have to admit, I even voted once for the Liberal Democrats. Goodness, the Conservatives <laughs> will have to cut that bit out. <laughs> Uh, and I made the judgment based upon you know what I thought was right for my local health service, etc. And you know that's the exciting thing about independence. After this big constitutional question is settled, you know we can actually you know, politics will become a wee bit yeah. more normal. And so I mean, there are people within the Labour Party who hold very similar views to people within the SNP. It's quite interesting. I, I think I think both sides of the, the left-right spectrum, if you can put it in broad terms, I think both sides would actually welcome Scotland moving on from the, yeah. the constitutional debate to actually talking about what's best for the way in which we run our local health services and how does that, you know, I think that's where the focus needs to be, whatever the result is. Uh, I mean, for me, the potentially interesting political divide in Scotland after a referendum is between you know, those with a, a centralising bent and those with a, a decentralising yeah. bent. Yeah. And I think that, fracture is too strong a word, but that division exists within all the political parties. Uh, and so it'll be interesting to see how that um, emerges, uh, develops after a yes vote. Yep, it's a really good point. It's one we actually explored with uh, George Fuchs the other week as well, who, yep. who said the same thing, um, something we've talked about before. We are coming to the end very quickly of our 15 minutes. Um, we do always throw in one question at the end that we don't tell our guests about beforehand, um, and that is to ask for a prediction. Um, we've had about half our guests have been willing to half give us a number. Some have not been willing to give us one. If it you, Kevin Pringle did give us one, actually. So we're looking for the percentage yes vote that you think will be achieved on the 18th of September. 
I think the analysis from the Washington Post was interesting, which suggested a range up to 54%. Uh, so I, I would say, you know, give you a range. I think that's probably a fair reflection of uh, what's possible for us to achieve. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll put you down to 54. Up to 54. <laughs> up to 54. Stephen, thank you very much for your time. You've been great. And uh, we'll be back in a few minutes. Thanks. Hi everybody, here we are back at Fortitude. Stephen is in the spin room. Stephen is away. So is everybody else. It's now just us in Fortitude, so the conversation must have stunned everybody into leaving. Um, Interesting stuff. Uh, I think the SNP campaign, or the Yes campaign, I should say, Freudian slip, um, might be sick of hearing the word pound soon, but I mean, it is the issue from last night, and I, I can't help but thinking, they have to be bullish about it. Obviously, they have to be bullish about it, but... You know, Alex Salmon's answers last night were just not really sufficient on the pound, and I think the you know they can't just continue to credibly hold the line that everything will be fine because the other side will agree to what they what they want. It's a real difficulty for them. I think the, the, the biggest problem for Yes Scotland, arguably more than the, arguably for me more than the facts of the argument on currency, is that. It is now clearly cemented as being the issue in the campaign. Last night did that. I think yeah. uh, there's no doubt it did that. I think it, 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 if it wasn't before, it is now the single issue that um, everyone will be talking about doing the dog and duck. Um, and I think that is that is good news for better together. Um, I think the, the other thing, generally speaking, from last night is you know, Stephen and, and his colleagues will have wanted something to be game changing last night. And I think if there was a, 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 a positive narrative for Better Together, it is that there was nothing truly game-changing about The other thing, of course, about last night as well, which is interesting, I mean, we, we've talked about this earlier on, there's nothing for observers like us, nothing happened last night which is new, we didn't learn anything at all. But what it did is position the rest of the debate, as you say, around currency. Um, because it was the main theme of last night's Inter- debate. Interesting though that Stephen is, you know, yes, Colin, are clearly very bullish about the, the impact the the debate had last night on undecided voters. Yeah. And, if, and if there is a narrative to support that, it is that the initial ICM findings on who did best in the debate, as usual, it does mirror precisely exactly people's voting intentions. Um, in recent polling, because people tend to think that their guy did best. And complacency is a killer for the no campaign. You know, they've been complacent before during the last couple of years. Um, and, you know, the worst thing that they could take away from last night is that everything's going very well, they don't need to worry about it anymore. You know, if there's one thing that should stop the no campaign being complacent, it's the guy we've just spoken to, Stephen Newton. He's the guy who was behind by, I don't know, what was it, 10, 15 points a couple of months before the 2011 election. And he played a pretty big part in turning it round. And more worryingly for the No campaign, he knew he was going to turn it round in 2011. Some of that that is inevitably natural bullishness. But at the end of the day, if there's one guy in Scotland who sees more more polling information than any other, it's probably Stephen Noon. Um, and he still has a smile on his face six six weeks before the referendum, and that has got to be. I mean, I know deep down, better together, are still concerned about motivation to vote in in West Central Scotland Labour areas. They are still vexed about that, and and Stephen Noon seems to me less vexed and more confident. 
So whilst they're behind, um, they're, they're still, in my mind, some some strength in his argument. Folks, we'll be bringing you some unionist reaction to last night's debate very soon. I suspect they'll think their guy won, but we'll find out. Do you out. think so? I think they just might. But for I think, now, I think everybody won. Everybody, everybody's won. For now, we'll bid you farewell. Bye-bye.